Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome into another week of the Mac Report Podcast. Mike McMahon with Ian Boucher. Ian, hello. How are you doing? Mike, how are we doing? What's going on? How was, uh, how was your weekend? Didn't uh, only got to see you once this weekend. I know. It's weird. It's a weird week. We're usually like seeing quite a bit of each other on, on weekends during the hockey and basketball season. But uh, we, well, we saw... And I guess, I guess, right, sorry, I guess it's a good thing that there's, you know, we, we got both of us here now and... It allows us to cover Sunday the way we did this past week. As I said, we split the duties. You were uh, over at men's basketball. I was making the ride uh, to Chestnut Hill and watched the the hockey game. That didn't go too well. <laughs> it didn't go too well early too, uh, and and it was it was over pretty quickly. But let's actually let's start with hockey then. On that note, uh, what do you think happened? I mean, it was, the first period went about on Friday went about as well as it could have probably gone, uh, and then the next five periods were quite the opposite. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was um, kind of it was kind of strange. Like, what, what do you think happened there? I think we saw up close and personal why Boston College is the number two team or one of the top teams in the country right now. Um, I think Merrimack did a good job coming out on Friday night, the opening 20. They knew they were going to have the energy. The place was sold out. It was a good crowd, great crowd. Um, and they were going to ride off the emotional high there, you know, the opening 20 and, and kind of go from there. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it was a little bit of, and Scott Bohr kind of talked about this in his post came afterwards too, right? He, he kind of fed off the emotions and when, the emotions kind of started to boil over in that second period. Things kind of got away from them. And I I kind of have to agree a little bit, too. Um, you can't give a team like Boston College with all that offensive firepower seven power plays in a game. Um, now, granted, we talked a little bit afterwards. You know, there were some calls both ways that, you know, could have gone either way. Um, but regardless of the fact that you can't give a team like that that many opportunities um they will capitalize and it, it just it wasn't their night it wasn't their weekend i think is the simplest way to put it you know um you just gotta put it behind you and not really sure too many positives that you can take out of this one uh, i guess maybe friday night you come back and you look at it you know, you battled back and you made a game out of what was a three goal deficit at one point and you turned it into a one goal game. And it was that up until the empty netter from Gauthier with 17 seconds left or whatever it was, um, you know, find some things that you can build off of. And now you got a weekend coming up against Northeastern that I think is sink or swim. I'm not sure how you agree see that you know whether you agree disagree whatnot but i i think this is a very big weekend coming up for the hockey program well it has to be because they just got swept you know and i i think a couple things happened i i, I don't think there were outside of like the first seven minutes of the game on friday night there really wasn't a lot of positives to take from the weekend i mean they did they did make a little bit of a push late in the third but uh it, i don't know it never really felt like they were in it even after they made it six four uh, and then Sunday was off the rails, you know, almost immediately, really, right from the drop of the puck. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think this weekend's really important for a number of reasons. They're they're getting buried in the hockey standings a little bit. Uh, Northeastern is just behind them in the standings, just ahead of them in the pairwise. Uh, I mean, look, we can almost we get we're almost at the point where it's like it's not even worth discussing the pairwise. Uh, I'm 
I'm going to keep discussing it because I, I think you need to you you want to keep an eye on it and you want to see where you stand. Um, this is a team that what went on like a seven game run last year in the second half after a, a poor start to the second semester. I don't know if they've got a seven game run in them right now or whatever six seven game winning streak whatever whatever it was. I don't know that they have that in them right now with who's on the schedule. We, we talked about how difficult their schedule is, uh, but if they were to somehow do that, you know, the pairwise is still very much something we should discuss because you know you go on a six zero run right here with the opponents you're going to be playing. You're going to go from twenty six into the top twenty pretty quickly. Um, but it, it's more about the hockey standings and where they stand from there. So from that standpoint, this is a, a very big weekend. It, it's kind of a get-right weekend because uh, I feel like we've had a couple of these this year where they they go through a period where it doesn't look good. They come back with a, a three-, four-game stretch where you think, okay, well, they, they figure something out, they're back on track, and then all of a sudden we'll get a weekend like we got this weekend against BC, and you're back to saying, hey, they, they're, they're searching for some answers again. Uh, it, it has constantly felt like at various points this year that they're searching for answers. And, and for, sometimes it's been to different questions, I think, which is probably the frustrating part. Uh, you know, it, they, it was D-zone coverage early in the year, uh, recently it's been penalties and, and their starts to games have not necessarily been great. Uh, really bad turnovers was an issue they needed to solve at, at one point earlier in the year as well. So it seems to be like every time they correct an issue, something new pops up. So that's why I say, I don't know if they've got that six, seven game run in them like they had last year. We'll see. But if they do, the pairwise is still worth discussing. Right. And uh, regardless at this point, I think you really got to pay attention to the league standings and try to position yourself as best you can for the hockey's playoffs. And, you know, I, I haven't published this yet because I, I'm, I was waiting to write a, a story that will run along with it, but um, we'll, we'll tease it here. I using the crash ratings, which is different than the pairwise. You can start to project the standings based on how many wins a team may have left on their schedule. Uh, you can do that because the rating, the, the way the crash rating works, if you compare those two numbers, the percentage of each individual's rating, the, the percentage of the total between two ratings is the theoretical win percentage for a game, right? So you can look at the, the strength of schedule left, and, and we've I've done this for all hockey's teams. Merrimack has 11 league games remaining, and if you go by the crash ratings, they have 4.66 wins remaining that they, that they should earn. That's kind of what is expected out of those 11 games, which would put them at 25.98 points in the league. Now, obviously, there's not going to be decimal points, you know, in, in the final standings, but this is a percentage it's a percentage basis calculated by game. So, like, for instance, this weekend, when you look at Merrimack's schedule, and this is a long explanation, but, um, you know, I have them projected for point eight. You look at their rating compared to Northeastern's rating, and, um, oh, actually, hold on. I am just noticing that there's an error here. So I have to fix this. <laughs> and in, in any event, it does look like they will be battling for home ice in the first round is, is what it looks like. So it, it looks like a buy is going to be very hard for them to attain. Uh, it looks like they're probably battling for home ice. And it looks like Northeastern will be one of those teams that they're battling for home ice against. Yeah, I think that, again, that just kind of goes to reiterate just how big this upcoming weekend is. I, I do think one thing that is a little little bit of a, a help or an aid at, at this point is Friday night is at Northeastern. Um, I, I think that can help in one of, one of two ways here, right? You're not coming back home after, you know, the disappointing performance on Sunday at BC and wondering, okay, well, what's the – what's the energy level going to be in the building? You know, um, obviously Northeast, uh, Northeastern hasn't been playing the best hockey, but still you went in there and they won earlier this year for the first time in a handful of years. So that was a big step for this team. So they know that they can certainly go into that building now and come out of there with a victory. Um, and if you go in there and come out of there, you know, on the, on the positive side, you're coming home on Saturday night. You're going to have a little momentum behind you and, you know, get a little bit more juice. And who knows? You string a couple of good performances together this weekend, and then they carry that over into next weekend when you got UMass at home Friday night and the road game at UNH for the first time. And I can't believe that this is the first time we're seeing New Hampshire this season. And yeah. it comes, you know, the first weekend of February next week. 
Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the league schedule gets up getting weird like that. But uh, yeah, I, so I fixed the issue in, in the thing that I had set up here because I just noticed as I was looking at the sheet. Uh, so yeah, Merrimack actually projected to have 3.97 wins out of their remaining 11 games, which is equivalent to like just under 12 points, right? There are 12 points right now. 3.97 wins is just about 12 more points. Uh, but if you do that that layout for every team, and it will take into consideration strength of schedule and games in hand, it, like it, it takes into consideration all that because you're you're doing it on a game by game basis. Uh, it it spits out the results that as of right now, Merrimack is projected to finish ninth in the league, which would not be in in home ice. Vermont would actually finish ahead of them, just barely. Merrimack projected to finish with 23.9 points. Vermont with 24.7 points. But it, why why I like this doing it this way is you can look at the league standings right now and say, okay, like, you know, it's not as much of a, of a, of a thing with Merrimack necessarily because of just the teams around them are the teams that they're going to be competing with. But a team like Connecticut who has 20 league points right now, you might look at the standings and go, okay, well, they're going to be battling it out with, you know, Providence is two points behind them. UMass is one point behind them, but Connecticut has played 15 games on their league schedule already. Providence has only played 11. UMass has only played 12. It doesn't look like UConn's going to be battling for positioning with Providence and Massachusetts at all, even though they're slightly ahead of them in the standings right now, because those teams are going to, that, those teams are going to pass UConn pretty, pretty easily, according to the model. So it actually looks like UConn's going to be battling with, you know, New, uh, not even New Hampshire, with Vermont and Merrimack for one of those home ice spots. Six, seven, eight are going to host nine, 10, 11 in the first round. And like I said, right now, Vermont's proje projected to finish eighth with 24.7, Merrimack in, in ninth with 23.9, it looks like Merrimack will be fighting for home ice in the first round. That's what it, where right now it looks like they're, go, they're going to be at the end of the year, which makes this weekend really important because Northeastern right now is one of the few teams in the league standings that are actually behind them. And uh, it means that that series in the middle of February up at Vermont could be massively significant and could actually determine uh, who's home and who's on the road in that that eight nine game in the first round? Because right now it looks like those two teams will face each other. There's plenty of hockey left. It will change significantly. Uh, I think at one point last year, Merrimack finished what two overall in the league. Yep. Last year, I think it was second, right? Yep, second overall. I, when they had gone through, I remember I did the same thing last year. When they went through their losing streak, uh, right at the beginning of the second semester, around this time, middle of January, they were projected to finish like sixth. So. All it is, is it's taking your your current results to date and projecting it out over the rest of the season and saying, well, if, if they played at the same level they've played at to this point, this is where they're going to finish. If they start to outperform what they did in the first half, they'll rise. You know, all we could be two weeks from now saying, well, instead of finishing ninth, now it's projected that they're going to finish in sixth or, or seventh or whatever. Uh, and that could climb if they if they play well, if they go on a four game losing streak here or six game losing streak uh we could be talking about 10th or 11th like it it is not necessarily predictive of anything all it is is taking your results to date and kind of projecting it forward so uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens but i agree with you i mean they need league points are going to be critical uh, or else they may find themselves on the road in the first round of the hockey's playoffs which i think coming into the year i don't think anybody expected that and and injuries have been a big part of it don't get me wrong but uh, you know, we were talking about a team that at the beginning of the year was nationally thought of as a top 15 team to start the season. And now we're talking about a team that, that may not have home ice in the first round of the playoffs. Like none of us were, were thinking about that. Yeah. One big question though, still um, goaltending situation. What, you know, what, what were your takeaways from that over the course of the weekend? Obviously we saw uh, Zach and net on Friday night at Lawler and then Hugo got the start on Sunday. So once again, Another weekend, another split for the goaltenders. But um, here we are again, another week asking, is somebody going to step up and take the one role here and, and, and run with it a little bit? Or is it just going to continue to be the 1-1-A tandem that we've expected from this team now over the course of the year plus? Yeah. Yeah, I thought Zach looked better. I mean, and I know he gave up well, five goals, not six. The, the one was the empty netter. Uh, but the, when UMass was making, excuse me, when BC was making their push, uh, I, I thought he looked really good in that game despite giving up five goals. Uh, I was a little surprised that they didn't make a move and go back to Zach after the third goal in the first period on Sunday. Uh, cause it, me too. You know, 
it felt like they were still within reach there, you know, and they ended up scoring the next goal to make it three to one. Uh, I, I don't necessarily put all that, all those three of those goals on Hugo. They just started really poorly as a team. Um, but I thought Zach, I thought, I thought Zach saved them on occasion in the Friday game uh, to the point where I was a little surprised they didn't make the move to go back to him. And then you look ahead and look at it for this weekend. I, I think Zach starts Friday. I, I think you kind of, I think you have to, I mean, I, I, I don't think, I don't think uh, this weekend says to me like, okay, well, you got to come back with Hugo back to back games. No, I think you come, I think you come back with Zach on Friday, and then as we've been saying for a couple of weeks, it's see how Friday goes. Like if Zach makes thirty five saves on Friday and you win three to one or something like that, then you got to come back with Zach on Saturday. Like you need someone to take over that position, uh, and uh, right now it hasn't happened yet. And the one thing, here's one thing I'll point out, and, and then because I want your opinion on it too. Last year, and again, I hesitate to to bring up goaltending numbers because it is a very individual stat, but I don't necessarily put all of it on the goaltenders because there's shot quality and, and things of that nature that comes up. They split last year. Uh, Zach, Zach Borgiel had a 919 save percentage. Hugo Wallace had a 915 save percentage. Almost identical. Well, they're almost identical this year too, but about 10 points less. Zach's save percentage is 906. Hugo's save percentage is 902. You account for some empty netters in there. Their team save percentage is actually below 900. It's at 899. So, and again, some of that is shot quality. As we saw earlier in the year, they were giving up just ridiculous chances, right? Uh, some of those those D-zone breakdowns earlier in the year were just just terrible. Uh, so that that definitely plays a role, but they they need someone they need someone to be a nine a nine fifteen nine twenty goalie that's what they need and uh, that it is, is, that comes in from both the goaltender play it also comes in with the 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 number of grade A opportunities that they're allowing but that's really what they need. Yeah, um, I think the other big thing that kind of can help this weekend is if Scott does go back to Zach and I would agree I think you play Zach on Friday night and see how it goes. But if Zach comes out and plays well, you ha- you go back to him on Saturday because then that, I think so that's, too. Yeah. that's two wins against Northeastern this year, and they both come with Zach and Nick because he won that game at Northeastern early in uh, November, or late October, early November, whenever it was that they played down there the first time. Um, so that would be two wins for him against Northeastern, and you're coming back home. You know, keep keep them in there. I, I I would have to agree with that as well. Yeah, I think you have to. I think they need someone to take over that position, and they need someone that that feels like they have the ability to steal a game. Because look, look, as a team, they've been so up and down. Uh, they need their goaltender to steal them some games. It's they just do. And the way that they've had their ups and downs this year, it doesn't seem like they're they're going to be a, a train that just chungs along. Like I said, I, I don't know that they've got a six or seven game win streak in them like they had a year ago. Uh, maybe they do if their goaltender, whoever it is, starts to steal some games. The way the last couple of weeks have, have developed, it just I, I feel like you've, you've got a better chance of that happening right now with Zach just because of the way he's played, like the way he played against BC. And maybe I'm, I'm, I'm putting too much value on one weekend because Hugo was pretty good against UMass the week before in that Saturday game at home. Um, but I... Uh, you know that that game on on Friday night against BC, even though it did kind of get away, uh, felt like it could have gotten away earlier and, and maybe a little bit worse than it was, uh, if not for some of the big saves that Zach made in the, especially in the second period against BC. Yeah, there was you know there was the push that we all knew was coming from BC. I thought it could have been a whole lot worse if it weren't for a couple of stops that Zach made, or, you know, middle to late in that period as the pressure continued to push. Um, you know, I again, just you, you got to try and find a guy. You got to try and find someone with a hot hand, and you're not going to get it by continuing to flip back and forth. And obviously, if that's how the coaching staff feels is the best chance for them to go out and win a hockey game each and every night, then they're going to continue to do that. But, you know, from what we've heard and what you and I have talked about specifically, you know, needing to find a guy that can – get hot and take the reins and, and be a guy you go to every night. It, it, it goes a long way to helping your team succeed. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Cause I feel like they're splitting right now and they split last season, but it was for different reasons. Last year they were splitting because both of them deserve to play. Neither one of them deserved to sit. <laughs> uh, 
uh, when they both had goals against, you know, in the low twos and save percentages between 915 and 920. This year, it's like they're splitting because neither one of them have taken the reins and said, no, this is my job. I'm going to I'm going to give you 915 every night uh, or 920 every night. Like it's it's almost like they're splitting for different reasons uh, last year compared to this year. But uh Looking ahead, real quickly here, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, real quickly. You're on Northeastern. You're coming off a loss at home to UMass last weekend. Obviously, we saw Merrimack play UMass the weekend before on a split. I mean, just real quick, what what have you seen from Northeastern here over the course of the last couple of weeks coming out of the break, and how do these two teams kind of look and compare to each other right now? Different styles for sure. Nor- Northeastern's more skill. I think they're. They're not really as as heavy of a team. They're they're more skilled but lighter. Uh, Merrimack's a little more blue collar, more blue collar and a little bit heavier, especially with Jeffries out of the lineup. Uh, you know, you lose a little bit of that element of one on one skill. So, uh, I do think it's it's contrasting styles a little bit. Like one of the big things in that first game against Northeastern, if you remember, Northeastern outshot them. I think pretty heavily in that game. Merrimack. Yeah, I, I want to say it was like fifteen to three, fifteen to two, something like that. It was it was very very lopsided numbers. Yeah, Merrimack had a lot of blocks in that game, and a big reason why is because Northeastern was very perimeter. I mean, they they had the puck around the perimeter a lot. They didn't really get the puck to the inside area of the ice very much at all. Uh, and it didn't seem like they really wanted to. Like, they're not that heavy team that's going to force the puck inside. Uh, if if all you're giving them is outside ice, that, that might be all they take. So uh, I, I think it is a little bit of a, of a contrast in styles. Merrimack's got to, you know, assert their style, though. Like, that's something that they, they did with a little bit of, su- of success against BC early in the game on Friday, but weren't able to sustain it. Uh, Northeastern doesn't have the firepower that Boston College has. Uh, but, you know, it is, you know, they want to play the game a little bit differently. So uh, I think that is going to be a test, right? Because they're, Northeastern wants the game a little bit more wide open, a little bit more free-flowing, a little bit more of a, our skill versus your skill. Merrimack wants the game with a little bit more hand, hand, hand-to-hand combat. We're going to punch in the mouth and, and see how you react. Uh, and you're and I think Merrimack really wants to make them earn every inch of ice like you you can't just allow them to take the middle if you make it difficult from what i've seen of northeastern this year if you make it difficult for them to take the middle of the ice and to take the grade a opportunities they're really not going to get the puck there very much because again they're real they're a skilled team but they 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 need time and space if you take that time and space away and don't allow them to get to the inside in the games that i've seen they haven't worked hard enough to get there which is part of the reason why they've had some struggles um so I, I think that's I think that's a big thing. And that's what they did well. That's what Merrimack did well in the first meeting. It's why the shots were so lopsided, but why Merrimack had success. Yeah. Um, I'm just I also want to put it out there into the hockey universe of the hockey gods. Um I really would like to see Northeastern wear their red alternate jerseys on Saturday night at Lawler. So okay. whatever needs to be done in the hockey universe, <laughs> let it be done. Um, I think those are probably in the top three for college hockey jerseys for me. I, like I need to see yeah. those. Yeah, I like them a lot too. Uh, looking ahead a little bit hockey from a hockey standpoint, we had a story up earlier today. Caden Cranston, who's a, a recruit for next year, was the MVP of the BCHL All-Star Game this past weekend. He also is leading that league in scoring. A lot of people think it's the second best league behind the USHL. So, I mean, if you're the leading scorer in the BCHL, you're going to be able to produce points at the NCAA level. That's usually how that goes. Uh, so that's a good sign. Also, uh, this happened last week, but we weren't able to touch on it because we were low on time. Uh, Merrimack has five recruits on the central scouting list, uh, the midterm rankings by NHL Central Scouting for the 2024 draft. I, I don't have an official number on this because I wasn't covering the team in the 90s, uh, but uh, I believe that is the most Merrimack players slash recruits ranked by central scouting on one list for one draft ever in program history. Uh, it is at least the most players on the list since I've been covering the team or have been associated with the team, which is going back to 2002. Uh, but I believe it's the most ever because uh, you know before 2002, they would have some drafted guys or, or guys that were getting buzzed for the draft, uh, but you know it wasn't like they were getting a handful of them. So uh, I, I believe this is the most players slash recruits they've ever had on the central scouting list at one time. And I, I, one of them actually dropped too. I think they had six in the preliminary rankings, five now in the midterm rankings. Uh, and we'll see what they have for the final rankings. But uh, it does seem like there's a lot of talent coming down the road in the future. Yeah, and I mean, certainly, right? You, anytime you can get a guy that's 
getting his name out there in the NHL world, the NHL draft world, any you know any any kind of that relation, it's good. And when you can add multiple guys to your program over the course of the next handful of years, I mean, just look at what all all the talent that got infused to the Boston College lineup that we just saw over the course of the weekend, right? Seven freshmen all coming in, you know, they've played together at high levels and everything like that, and their performance on the ice is backing up all the hype that came with it, right? So obviously there's big shoes to fill when you are being spoke of, you know, in such high high regard. Um, for a lot of these younger guys, some, some guys take a little longer to settle in and kind of, you know, ad- adapt and, you know, figure out, okay, I can do this. It just takes a little bit more heat and, you know, in this, in this aspect of my game, but it's something that I can work on and I can achieve it and I can do it. So, um, but it definitely, it's a, it's a good tip of the cap too, to the coaching staff that yeah. uh, Scott has around him. I mean, we were talking the other day about, you know, Dan Jewell and his ability to go out and recruit. And now Jimmy Mullins is in there as well. He's, he's been, you know, known in the college hockey world as a great recruiter for the last handful of years. And, you know, his reputation precedes him and, um, it's, it's a good thing. And, you know, that's only going to help this program continue to grow by getting more, um, top ranked, you know, prospects and, and guys like that coming into your program. I mean, it, it can only help you sell and better your name. So it's, it's a good thing. I think from a roster building standpoint too, it's easier to keep a guy if he's drafted. That's why you want those guys drafted because uh, from an NHL standpoint, they only, they only have 50 contracts. So if you're not 100% ready to make an impact, but they've drafted you, now they don't have to sign you. They can let they can let you develop in college. Brett Sini was a drafted player, played all four years. I think it's, look, if you're not a, a first or second round pick, you're almost a guarantee to get through to your junior year, unless you really explode. Because uh, it's not very often that a team's going to make you one of the 50 contracts they have if they don't think you're ready to make it at least an immediate impact in the American Hockey League. Um, and, and the prime example, I would say, is uh, like a Declan Carlisle. Declan Carlisle may, if he was drafted, may have seen his senior year. I don't I, I don't know that for sure, but I think sometimes with, with NHL teams, if they've drafted you and they have your rights, they, they've already got you. They're not afraid that they're going to lose you. They've already got you. Uh, if you're an undrafted free agent, and you start to pop a little bit as a sophomore, there's going to be teams that go, okay, well, we really like this guy. It's us and four teams on him right now. If he goes back to school, it's going to be us and 22 teams. So if we really want this guy, we got to get him now. Even if he's not ready, we got to sign him early in order to make sure that we get him. Uh, so I think if he's dra- if you've got a player that's drafted, it's more likely that you're going to keep that player for at least three years. When you got a guy that, that's undrafted but starts to pop as a sophomore, it can be a little more difficult to hold on to that guy. Of course, Carlisle signed after his junior year, and it, and it's not a perfect science because Zach Ewens was a drafted player and signed the same year as Carlisle <laughs> uh, signed after his junior year. So it's not a it's not a perfect science, but I, but I think in general you have a better chance of keeping guys if they're drafted because it's a way for the NHL teams to hold on to the rights to the player without having to sign the player and have that player count towards one of their fifty contracts. So we'll see, you know, I, but I think you obviously from or just a program standpoint, you want to see these guys get drafted. I think from a roster building standpoint, it makes it easier if those guys get drafted because only one team can negotiate with them at that point, as opposed to 31. Yeah, definitely. Right. So you're, you're talking about it in a manner of, you know, you go, you're, you go into the draft or you're, you're selected in the draft prior to, you know, following a junior junior season or, prep school, something, something along those lines. And you know, okay, well, I'm taking the next step. I'm going to go play college and teams can kind of take a little bit more of not a laxed approach, but you know, like you mentioned, they know that, okay, we have this guy, he's, he's there, he's ours and we can go to him when the time is right. Yeah. So they got the right for four years. They don't have to worry about losing the guy for four years. Yep. That's why, it's why, honestly, if, if I'm an NHL general manager with, any pick after the fourth round, really, probably fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, I'm only taking college guys. That's all I'm going to do. Because at that point, you're just taking lottery tickets on guys that you think might explode by the time they're later on in their college career and would be a guy that is going to be talked about. Like, I, For example, if I have a seventh round pick, I'm only going to take a college player because I'm looking at it going, okay, this is a guy that we think might be a, 
a guy who's going to pop as a college free agent later on in his career, we'll draft him and already have his rights. And we've got a four-year window to evaluate that player before we even have to think about signing him. So I, I don't know why more teams don't do it. I, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, it makes it, you know, you have a prospect, you have somebody that's developing somewhere, they're playing, you know, at, at, at high levels, they're playing D1 college hockey. It, it makes it so much easier for yeah. GMs and in, in front offices. Well, and that's the thing. Like, so for people that don't know, if you draft a kid out of major junior out of the WHL, OHL, Quebec League, you've you have to determine whether or not you're going to sign that player in two years. So you draft them at 18, you have until they're 20 year 20 year old year to sign them, basically, until they age out of juniors. Yeah, they age out of 20. Right. So with the college players, you have a four-year window before you have to sign them. So it just it extends out. It doubles the amount of time that you can evaluate that player before determining whether or not you're going to sign him. Like it's it's a no-brainer to me. I, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know why more teams don't do it, especially with those later round picks. But uh, moving on to basketball, eh, an up and down weekend for them too. Uh, lost at home to Wagner on Friday night. Came back and uh, in. Beat Stonehill on Sunday, the game that you were at, in a game where they chucked up 41 threes. I think we were. Yeah, the there phone. were a lot of there were a lot of three balls flying. Yeah, <laughs> you, we were on the phone afterwards when I was leaving BC, and I think you, you gave me the number. I was like, 41. It's more than a three per minute. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, you were at the game on Sunday. How, how do you feel they bounced back after the loss to Wagner? Uh, you know, obviously they got back in the wind calm, and, and Joe mentioned it a little bit afterwards. You know, he's not really sure how much stock to take out of it. You know, it's one of those where it's like, okay, it was kind of back and forth. Um, yeah, it was, it was good to kind of rebound after Friday night's disappointing uh, performance, but um, he mentioned just getting back to the threes. It was, it was more so along the lines of, he didn't mind the number that were taken. He just, it, it was more so they were just throwing them up 10, 12 seconds into a shot clock on a, on a possession. And that's very uncharacteristic the, of Merrill. The way, yeah, exactly. The way he likes to run his offense, it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to take 15, 20 seconds off of the 30. Yeah. And we're going to start running our offense with about 10, 12 seconds left on the clock. Yeah. They're not, they're so, not one of those high tempo teams. At least they haven't been traditional. Yeah. So, I mean, it just, it, it was good. Um, Devin Savage had 14 points. Jordan Durkak, another double-double. I'm not 100% sure on the number. I want to say it's at least his fifth this season. Uh, it could be his sixth. I'm not 100% sure on that, so don't quote me. He put up 11 assists to go with that as well. So when the offense got going in the second half, the ball movement was there. You could see the execution was coming, and that was where in the second half, despite not hitting as many threes, um, they were getting the looks, especially from the corner, and a guy like Devin Savage, who started the game three for three from three. Um, so it, it was a good start for him. Things kind of staggered out a little bit. Once Stonehill, so Merrimack runs their two three zone, right? And Stonehill was running a three two all afternoon. Interesting. So there were a lot of a lot of passing lanes that were blocked, a lot of balls being knocked around. Um, it, it was. It looked like a Sunday pickup game at different times. Like you're you're at the Y on a Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Um, but uh, the that Friday lead, did, did that lead to more open looks though from three. Is that maybe why they took so many? Yeah, a little bit, and and that was sort of the thing, right, Joe? Again, he he hinted at it. A lot of those early looks might have been open because guys were still trying to set up in the in their zones. Yeah. Um. So that might have led to a little bit more of the wide open looks. Um, but the Friday loss to Wagner, uh, the last time Merrimack lost a basketball game at home was January 28th of 2023. So we're coming up on almost a calendar year since the team had lost a game at home, whether it be at Hamill or at Lawler. One of the longest streaks in the country, right? It was, it was up there. They were trying to tie Kansas and Kentucky. Kansas and Kentucky had 14 game active, uh, home win streaks. Um, so I don't, uh, I believe actually, if I'm not mistaken, no, um, Kansas recently lost, but they lost on the road. So that wasn't at home. Um, so that streak is still in effect, but, uh, but yeah, no, they had a chance. Um, Jacob O'Connell, 26 points on Friday night, Jordan McCoy yes. chipped in with 11, uh, great performance from O'Connell. Um, they were the only two 
that put up double digits on Friday night, um, and they got killed on the boards, which you've kind of seen a different a handful of times this year. They got out-rebounded by Wagner 38-22, so not exactly close numbers-wise there. No, but I feel like some of that is just you got to give up something, and that's what they give up by jumping out and contesting the threes in the zone the way that they do. You don't have as many guys underneath. You're you're gonna lose on the, you're gonna lose the rebound battle. It just seems to be like that's the trade off, right? Because I mean, when's the last time they won? I mean, they don't win the, that rebound battle very often at all. It feels like. No, it's few and far between when they when they yeah. out. out and I think it's teams. just part of how they play, which is fine. I mean, look, the, the zone is hey, worse. they're still clearly. winning ball games. <laughs> and and it's it's limited teams. It's hard to play against. I mean, it's not a criticism. It works. I just think it's part of. The way that they play, they're they're going to struggle on the boards. It's just kind of how it works. Yeah, they're more concerned uh, with not allowing those three balls. You know, yeah, they don't want they don't want to give teams those open looks, so they're going to defend that three point line as 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 actively as they can. One hundred percent. Now they get a big weekend this weekend too, heading to Wagner again. So they'll play well, not heading to again, but playing Wagner again this time on the road. That's on Thursday, uh, and then St. Francis on Saturday for a road series. In the NEC, uh, so they're back in league play and trying to February third. A couple more wins here. February third is their next home game. Uh, that is Central Connecticut. So you're playing a couple of teams here. Well, actually, you know, take out St. Francis because you haven't seen them yet. Um, Wagner here in Central Connecticut, the next home game. You're playing a couple of teams that. You've already seen and a couple of teams that already uh, that have given you your only two losses in conference play. So, a um, little bit, a little bit more on the line, especially uh, especially this coming weekend against Wagner. Uh, speaking of this weekend, too, really quick, Merrimack uh, men's hockey. They're going to honor uh, Richard Peon and Ron Anderson, who went into the Merrimack Hall of Fame uh, back in September. So they'll be honored at the game this weekend because it is Alumni Day on Saturday. They're going to have their alumni game Saturday afternoon. Uh, and then, uh, from what I understand, it's a it's a significant turnout of alums coming out on Saturday to support, uh, especially the, those late 80s alums, uh, to support their former coach uh, and a former teammate who just went into the Hall of Fame. So that should be a, a big day at Lawler on Saturday uh, with a lot of alumni in the house. Sounds like a uh, busier night than normal for myself down at ice level. <laughs> I think it probably will be. <laughs> uh, Ian, where else can people find you? Uh, you can find me Friday. I got the women's game against Northeastern. Uh, also, just real quick, shout out to the uh, women. Good uh, come from behind. Yes. Tie, if you want to call it that, on uh, on Saturday afternoon against Maine. They were down three uh, with... Uh, three and change left and fought back to not only send it to overtime, but they ended up winning in a shootout. So they picked up the extra point against Maine. So uh, shout out to uh, the women's program as well. Good, uh, good effort from them over the weekend, but I'll be there Friday. And then uh, as we just talked about, be at Lawler Saturday night for the Northeastern men. You can find me on Twitter at Ian Bow and on TikTok uh, at PA guy Bo. So All right. I got some um, stuff. Merrimack men's basketball on the road this weekend. Hockey have one home and home at Northeastern. Uh, like I said, it's Alumni Day, and uh, we will talk more about that and what's coming up on the plans for, for Alumni Day uh, in just a minute right after a break with the assistant coach of the Warriors and a Merrimack alum, Chris Ross. We'll be back in one minute. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it. No, Mom, what is this? This stick is so dusty. There's no more Genos left in it. I can take it from here, Mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect twig for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. We're back with the assistant coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Chris Ross, who is a Merrimack alum in its alumni weekend this weekend uh thanks for joining the show how are you uh great mike how you doing uh excellent excellent yeah so <laughs> i know it's a, bi a big weekend uh from an alumni standpoint with a, a lot of alums coming back to campus just uh how how nice has it been to see that that grow this is what your third year right yeah yes, this is my th yeah this is my third year and one of the things that uh coach bork had uh tasked me to do is kind of um you know really dive into reaching out to the um the alumni 
uh, network from you know all the all the eras. So uh, you know before Ron Anderson, who I played for, and then um, the Ron Anderson era, which was easy for me to reach out to all those former teammates and you know people that I've I've known and networked with over the years from that era, and then uh, also got a chance to to network with a lot of Sereno uh, era people as well, and then and then um, really. You know, one of my goals is to dive into the the Dennehy era, um, and and kind of dive into that alumni network and really receive some some great help from Ryan Flanagan, who I had known. I had actually helped him get a job with Johnson and Johnson at uh, at one point, um, and so we've be, we've been close for the last five years. So I really leaned on him to kind of help me uh, network with the with the Dennehy era. So yeah, I'm excited to see this. There's going to be people from all all the eras coming this weekend and I'm, I'm really excited to not only see some former teammates, but, but also, you know, connect with all the, all the other alums as well. How much has it grown in those three years? Cause I know like it, it seems like the, the group from the alumni game standpoint and who's coming to the game, the reception uh, before the game, it's gotten bigger. It seems like over the last three yeah. years, that, that group's yeah. growing. Yeah. So um, the first year, I think we had, it was like five on five. <laughs> it was like five <laughs> on five, uh, uh, six on six, maybe. Uh, um, and then last year we had a huge group. Um, we had an ice snafu where there was a tournament going on, uh, at the time. So we, we, we couldn't, uh, do the alumni game, but you know, as uh, with all things and with, with alumni, you know, a lot of love, it's just people wanting to get together and have a couple beers and watch, watch the game and stuff. So we, we had a, uh, a pretty big group. Um, unfortunately that was, uh, when we played Brown, last year oh, it was right. a start yeah. is a start of that uh kind of streak <laughs> right when we came out of the break and then so you know this year it's grown tremendously i think a big part of that is um you know we're also going to be honoring coach ron anderson and rich pion um you know ron ron anderson was uh, a longtime coach here I, I played for him um and then rich pion who is i think the class of 89 um but part of that 88 team um he was both of them were inducted into the hall of fame for merrimack this year and uh, we wanted to do something for them during the hockey season as well so there there's going to be a, a pre-game ceremony um honoring both those guys uh, i think uh, we'll have them drop a ceremonial puck before the game as well um, i'm going to be singing the national anthem like i did uh on josh uh, shiako night as well but uh hopefully i, I won't be as uh, emotional uh, as i was that night but but uh um, so a lot of a lot of cool things. Um, there's going to be an alumni game at 3:30 to 4:30, and then um, we're going to have an alumni reception, which you're more than welcome to attend, Mike, uh, from 5 to 6:30 at the Rogers Center lobby. It'll be uh, open beer and wine bar for all alums, and uh, you know not only playing in the, the guys that are playing in the game at 3:30, but anyone that wants to come that are there to honor Ron uh, and uh, Rich Pion as well. Um, more than welcome to come before the game and have a couple beers and you know talk to some of the some of the old old teammates and such. So, um, you know, looking forward to it. Yeah, it seems it's a good day that that's been put together. Uh, it, it seems like it's changing, but I remember like when I was when I was a student back in the early two thousands, it was kind of just the game and, and that was it. And you'd get some guys that came back here and there, but uh, to to wrap a reception around it and then have the game that night. Uh, it really does make a, a, a nice day out of it, it seems, as opposed to just having, I, I think the couple of years, I think back, like my junior, senior year, I think the alumni day was just kind of, it was on an off day. So like there was a game, some players were around, but there wasn't anything to do that night. Wrapping it around a home game uh, is it's, it's perfect, right? Because it gives everybody, even if you're not going to play the game, it gives you a chance to come out and still uh, be around your former teammates and, and meet guys from other areas too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, the, the, you know, that's pretty much one of my biggest goal uh, goals and coming back here, um, you know, as a, as a volunteer coach and, you know, one of the roles I'm going to be stepping into, um, moving into the future is, is heading up what's going to be called the vision committee, um, to kind of, um, drive the, the vision of Merrimack hockey, f uh, forward. And, and part of that vision, um, was driving, um, the alumni network. I felt like, uh, Coach Denny, he had it going pretty good um, during his era. And then, you know, um, you know, it, Coach Bork and I have talked about this uh, many times. Like there were people that were upset when Coach Anderson um, left the program. I'm sure there were people that were upset when uh, Coach Serena left the program. And so at the end of the day, um, we're all Merrimack Warriors here. And we are, we're all proud of, um, you know, the history of this uh 
school and, and this uh, hockey program and, and, you know, coming into hockey East in the early nineties and um, having two teams now make it to the, um, you know, garden, uh, you know, hockey's finals and, and, you know, unfortunately coming up just short, um, you know, there, there is a story and there's a history here and we're all proud to wear that sweater. Um, and I want to, I want to carry that forward, no matter who, you, what coach you played for or whatever, we're all Merrimack warriors at, at, uh, at heart and part of this family. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to create here is just that, that family, um, uh, kind of atmosphere, um, with the, with the alums coming back. And that's why, uh, have, I think very important to honor coach Ron Anderson. Uh, you know, he was such a big part of, you know, bringing the, um, the organization from a division two power into, into hockey East and, you know, division one independent, they had that success in the 88 team uh, and with the NCAAs and stuff and, and uh, you know, driving it all the way into um, the nineties and two thousands and, and the success that Denny uh, coach Denny, he had, and that now the success that we've had recently as well. Um, you know, we should all be proud of this program and, and uh, we would want to keep driving it forward and keeping the outreach with the alumni as well. So. Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool to see him go into the Hall of Fame, too, just because, you know, if people don't know the history. You don't really know, like you said, what what he was what he ushered in uh, from going from D2 to D1 first team that went to the tournament there in 88, which I know uh, Richard Peon was on that team, too. So yeah. like when you look at the, yeah. the history of of Merrimack hockey, those two guys are, are right front and center for that 88 team, along with Jimmy Vesey, who's already in the Hall of Fame like there's. Uh, Ron Anderson was a part of a lot of big moments in, in Merrimack hockey history. So it's fitting that he, he went into the hall of fame issue. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, that's, that's one of the things where, you know, everyone kind of uh, sometimes looks at uh, Merrimack and like tries to compare it to um, like, you know, some of the other facilities out there, like a UMass or something like that. But, but um, it's funny, like, you know, when you, when I look back at what coach Anderson had back then and what um, our rink looked like and what, uh, you know, what, what we were up against at that point, you know, he did a tremendous job, um, with what he had. And, and, um, for me, when I came in here three years ago and I kind of see, I had kind of seen it a little bit through the Denny eras at the new locker room and stuff like that. I, I came in here with like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Like, you know, we're, we've really, we've really turned the corner corner here. We made some great improvements and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, I can tell we're becoming a real program. And so, um, you know, I, I look back now that I've, I've experienced being a coach here at Merrimack and I, and I, I kind of can sympathize for what, uh, coach Anderson probably went through back then with small budgets and, um, you know, and, and trying to compete in hockey East, it was tough. And, you know, when I played, we went up against that infamous main team. So, um, you know, not easy. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now you've got now you've got BC and VU who are kind of doing the same thing this year, like that main team. Uh, kind of looking ahead on on the ice this weekend. What do you what do you feel like the keys are against Northeastern? Obviously, you guys played them earlier in the year, had some success. Uh, got them back to back now, starting on the road Saturday at home for Alumni Day on on no on the road Friday at home for Alumni Day on Saturday. What do you kind of look at as as being some of the keys for you guys this weekend? Yeah. I uh, you know, despite the results this weekend, you can kind of look at uh, this past weekend, you kind of look at the, the first game, um, you know, and, and the games before that. I, I really do feel like since the second half started, we've, we've, we've turned the corner um, and we're tre we're trending in the right uh, direction for sure. Um, you know, we're we're a team that has to remember what our identity is and we have to stick to that identity. Um, and that was what made us really successful last year was was uh, being the type of team that we were last year. We have it in us uh, to do the same thing this year. And I think we've made a lot of improvements. So looking forward to this weekend, you know, this Northeastern's a tough team from teams one through uh, 11 here in Hockey East. It's uh, anyone can win any game. And so. Um, you know, I really just feel like we have to play to our identity and, and just really um, do what we do best and, and play Merrimack College hockey and and uh, and let the re let the results come come from there. So how cool has it been for you two just to be back around the program? Like I said, this is year three. I know I remember that first game. I think we were texting the night of that that exhibition game at UNH where you kind of got thrown into the thrown into the fire. pretty yeah. quickly. But yeah, uh, how, how cool has it been for you to just to be to be back around the program on a day to day basis? Um, it's, it's really been, uh, it's really been unbelievable. Uh, just a fantastic experience for me. You know, my first year, I really had a pinch myself, just even walking around campus, you know, going to lunch, you know, it just brought back so many good memories of, 
uh, of just being around the school. Um, it was, it was my goal to get back here. Um, it's why I left coaching high school hockey and coached at Southern New Hampshire and university of new England. And, um, you know, networked, uh, with, with, with coach Bork and, and, uh, it was my goal to get here. And I, I kind of wanted to do it at the, uh, the volunteer, uh, level as well, because I, you know, part of me just wanted to give back, um, uh, to the program. So it's been an unbelievable experience. Uh, I've learned so much from, from, uh, coach Bork, um, you know, we had the loss of Josh last year, which, you know, devastated, um, all of us, you know, me for sure lost a really good friend. Um, but, um, you know, going through the experience of, of that team last year and what we went through from the start of that season to, to where we finished was probably, um, one of the highlights of my hockey career, both as a player and, and a coach, just, uh, I've never been a part of a team that was that close. Um, and, and I think it was one of the reasons why we were so successful. So, um, having that experience as well, and, and just, you know, seeing how this program has grown, matured, you know, as you know, yeah, I, I, unfortunately, when I played from 92, I have more nightmares of playing against like Paul Korea and Jimmy Montgomery and, and, uh, you know, those great BU teams and, and stuff like that. We never got out of the quarterfinals. So now to have a new kind of uh, rewritten chapter of my Merrimack hockey experience has been, you know, really awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, best of luck this weekend. Good luck with alumni day on Saturday. I uh, hope everybody enjoys it. It should be a great day. And, uh, we'll talk to, we'll talk to you again at some point again here soon, All but right. thanks for taking some time today. Sounds good, Mike. Enjoyed it. All right. Thanks to Merrimack assistant coach, Chris Ross for joining us today and to Ian Boucher for opening the show as always. Merrimack men's basketball on the road this weekend, Wagner on Thursday night, St. Francis on Saturday, uh, Merrimack men's hockey with a big home and home against Northeastern. It starts Friday night down at Matthews arena, uh, and Merrimack will come home on Saturday to face the Huskies on Alumni Day, where they'll honor Ronnie Anderson and Richard Pion, who went into the Hall of Fame uh, earlier this year. So, big weekend ahead for Merrimack Athletics. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in and downloading the show. And if you're a subscriber over at themackreport.com, we thank you for that as well. We will talk to you next week. We'll react to everything, the basketball series, the hockey series. We'll see where things stay in a week from now. Uh, we'll have you covered right here on the Mac Report Podcast.